Well, we love kids, Eddie. You've picked that up. And so many of you are volunteers. Thank you so much. One of the reasons we're so compelled to love children is that we know that most people who decide to follow Jesus Christ make that decision before they're 18 years of age. And that happens because kids' hearts are just wide open. Tonight, we're going to read a story that Jesus taught about hearts. And we're going to read about four heart conditions. I invite you to follow along as I read from Luke chapter 8, starting with verse 4. This is what it says. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop more than a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that, he quotes from the Old Testament, Though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. We're going to pick up from verse 12 and following in just a moment. But I want you to notice that it talks about four kinds of heart conditions. There's a hard heart. There's faint heart. There's half-hearted. And there's whole-hearted. And tonight, in the next few minutes, I think you're going to find yourself in this story. Last week, you lived this story. I did as well. And as we move toward a conclusion of this talk tonight, there's going to be an opportunity for you to make decisions about wherever you find yourself and move forward. Are you ready to jump in with me? Let's talk first then about hard-hearted. We discover this, that in the four kinds of soil, that there's those that are hard-hearted. Apparently, some dirt is completely unresponsive. As Jesus begins to unpack the story now, we read some fresh verses. It was kind of like the people that came initially, there was a huge crowd of them that said they came from many towns. They showed up for the hors d'oeuvres, and they enjoyed them, and they all went home. And the disciples stuck around and they said, we don't know what the heck you're talking about. Would you explain this thing to us? And now they get the entree as Jesus begins to unpack it. And he says in verse 12, those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Jesus describes the people who are not in, describes people who hear, 
but don't receive. It's literally in one ear, but out the other. The seed of God's word falls on a hard heart that's like a path that's been driven and packed down. The seed doesn't get into it. It's like the person that looks you right in the eye, nods, but what you say just goes right on through. Their eyes have a glazed look and they just don't get what you're saying. Totally unresponsive. Jesus said it's like a life that's been packed down, trampled path. How does that happen? People do stuff to us, don't they? Yeah, all the time. And some of that stuff just packs our lives and contributes to a hard heart. The old saying goes, sticks and stones may break my bones and, and the rest of what you've heard was absolutely wrong. Words do hurt us. Life hurts us. People get hurt all the time. Neglect and betrayal and abuse and shame and rape and divorce and violent acts and painful words. And sometimes these are even done in the name of God. And nothing is more confusing and more hurtful when people, Christians, the church ends up ripping us off. You've been there. You have your story, don't you? Yeah. I know that the church, Christians, the bride of Christ, is becoming a beautiful bride, but I want to tell you once in a while, I have found her south of ugly. You know what I mean? Serious world of hurt. And it happens all the time. We all have our stories. I was with Pastor Alex a couple weeks ago. I think we were in a store or something. I don't remember the setting, but we ran into one of the E families, and they had a couple little E kids. And I did what you see me do out in the lobby. I'll have a conversation with tall people, and I'll see a little kid out of the corner of my eye that's waiting to talk to me, and I'll excuse myself from the adult conversation, and I'll get down, and I'll look at the kid in the eye, and I'll have a conversation for maybe 30 seconds. And if touch is appropriate, we'll do a high five or a, a hand bump or maybe a quick hug and then I'll stand back up and I'll say, oh, thank you, thank you. This is one of my honored friends and talk. I did that in the grocery store and I had no idea where that came from until I was standing up and I looked at Alex and I said, I know where I got that. You see, I remember the first words that I ever hear, heard a pastor say to me. Now, I know pastors said other things to me. I was a little kid, grew up in church. But the first words that I remember, I'm about to tell you. I grew up in a, in a real church that doesn't misbehave like Evergreen. And the pastor tucked his shirt in and everything. And, and afterward, the last song, he'd march down the center aisle and he'd go out into the vestibule of our little country church that was a white church with a real bell, with a bell tower thing, kind of a deal. And, and then on the way out, everybody would lie to the pastor. They'd shake his hand and say, Pastor, that's the finest message I'd ever heard. Yeah. And he reciprocated and said, you're the finest parishioners I've ever had. You know, we all lied on our, on our way out of church. And actually, it was, a, it was a fine tradition. But I remember that one Sunday morning. I'm a, I'm a kid. I remember going out and... And he reached out. You see, my mom loved me, and so she called me Big Boned. You know what that means, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> my aunts loved me, but they weren't quite as kind. They called me Chubby or Chunky. <laughs> my classmates that wanted to get into my skin just simply called me Fat Boy or Fatty. You know where this is going. 
The pastor that day, there was a sparkle in his eye and he was grinning. I knew that he intended to kid me, but he reached out and he grabbed a fat roll and he pinched me and he said, you're fat. Yeah. I was in the store and I got up from talking to this kid and I said to Alex, I know where that came from. I want every e-kid someday to remember the first words that they heard from this pastor and for it to be something other than that. Now, you believe me, don't you? Yeah. So you'll believe me when I tell you that I have no other stories in my life from how Christians have ever hurt me in any way. You believe that, don't you? Nah, not so much. No. Ann and I missed you last Sunday. We actually thought about you for a few minutes. Not that long, but for a few minutes we were in Florida celebrating our 35th wedding anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you are so mean, you still ask me why she married me. That's not kind. And we went on from there, and we went to a pastor's conference thing, and it was really a wonderful deal. 3,500 people or pastors were there, many international, and we know a lot of those folks, and we just kind of hung around in Orlando and met a lot of friends and reconnected with a lot of people. I knew I was going to have an early morning breakfast with one of them. He's been a friend for 25 years. Pastor's a large church. I've had the privilege of being his friend for 25 years, speaking in that church, and we've worked together on different boards and commissions, and we're just, you know, we're a mutual admiration society, and at least I thought, and, and we're just friends. And so he called me a couple of months ago, and he said, you know, I've been thinking about some stuff that happened way back, like 10 years ago. I, would you mind meeting with me for breakfast at convention so we can just kind of talk that through? And I said, good for you. That's a good thing to do. And so we sat down this week, and uh, we sat down outside, and it was next to a lake, and so we're on this little deck thing on a lake, and it's a beautiful morning. The sun's starting to come up. It's warm, and I'm eating my banana. And he sits down, and he looks at me, and he said, well, Jared, I guess what I really want to discover today is who to blame. Now, that's not a fun way to start a conversation, is it? I sure hoped he wanted me to help him know somebody else to blame. You know, I could have helped him there, but I, I had a hunch maybe it was me. I'm going to condense the next two minutes of his monologue into just a couple of sentences when he said to me, we are just now beginning to recover from all of the damage that you have done. So I'm trying to figure out whether I should blame you for being utterly incompetent or I should blame the boss that brought you in because he knew you were so weak that he could control you. So those are the options. And he states them as everybody in the world agreed. We're going to get into the good stuff in a moment in the conversation, but that's just stating the facts. Jared, would you help me figure this out? Are you just incompetent or are you incompetent and weak? That's a conversation starter. Yeah. Got to tell you, the bride's kind of ugly sometimes, isn't she? Yeah. We fumble our way forward. We stumble together. And if you've ever found the perfect church, it got messed with the day you came. You know that, don't you? Yeah. And it's not that we're mean, though sometimes we are. But it's often that in our just dumbness, 
But sincerity, we fumble our way forward and we elbow each other out of the way and we poke each other in the eye. No wonder our hearts get hard and there is the possibility that we will withdraw from those kinds of painful situations and say, I will not let that happen to me again. I put my heart on the table and you just trampled on it. I'm going to back away. And a callus begins to grow over our heart. It begins to become a trampled down path. God's word comes to it, just bounces off. Birds pick it off, digest it. And what was intended to be God's word to bring a hundredfold life in you becomes bird poop. That's where it goes in life. If you're a guest here today, it will get better next week. Someone else will speak. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, it's tough, isn't it? I so wanted, he's smaller than me, to reach across that table and throw him into the lake. That's what I wanted to do. My heart rate was accelerated. I'm sure my blood pressure was up. I was probably flushed. And he just continued to talk. We're the closest friends in the world. And we're there to figure out whether I'm incompetent or incompetent and weak on top of it. And our conversation continued. What am I going to do? You've been there. And if you weren't there last week, you'll be there next week. What do you do in those times? Here at Evergreen... The great physician has come and he's given us a prescription on how not to have a hard heart. Notice it with me. This is what we have to do. We forgive. I get it. It was unfair. They were mean. They were wrong. They don't even want you to forgive them. They don't even think that they did something that deserves or needs forgiveness. I get it. It stinks. I get it. The pathway forward is always the pathway of forgiveness. And the second part of the prescription to keep us from having a hard heart is to what is the word? You got to move on. Now, some of you are saying, no, you got that wrong. I heard one time that we forgive and what? Forget? Who came up with that crazy idea? We do not forgive and forget. We forgive and we move on. And one of the reasons we don't forget is because every time God works his redemption, his healing in our lives, it's a story of his grace. I'm glad I didn't forget when an unthoughtful pastor reached out and squeezed my fat roll and while pinching me said, you're fat. I'm glad I didn't forget because I'm glad for the motivation in my life that gets down many times on a weekend, especially scores of times, and looks at an e-kid in the eye and makes contact. I'm glad for God's redemption in my life. I'm paraphrasing an Old Testament prophet. He says that God will go in to the septic tanks of our life and will cause a beautiful watered garden to grow there. We forgive and we move on. Hard hearts. Not even in hard hearts. Let's take a look at the second kind of heart. We call these folks the, the faint hearted. And we learn something about soil. There's a possibility that some dirt is, is impulsive. It says this in verse 13. Jesus unpacks it for us. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. When they hear it, but they have no root. Yeah. These are the folks that are excited and thrilled and motivated and enthused and whoo 
party time. And by the way, I like all of that too. But when the party time emotions go away, just like the farm that I grew up on that was in River Bottom where there used to be some rocks and stuff, all of the, the grain would grow up and look beautiful green for about four weeks and then in the shallow ground, all of a sudden, it would begin to turn yellow. And after about two months, it would just fall over and it would be dead because it was in shallow ground, faint-hearted, a cluttered life. That's what a rocky heart is like. It's cluttered. We believe for a while. The time of testing comes. The promise falls away. We, we hear the word. We respond to it with great joy and enthusiasm. But it's such shallow soil that the emotions wear off when difficulty comes and it never goes beyond that. That's where we live. There's a new resolution. We get started, we're excited. Maybe we start, decide we're gonna work out or lose a few pounds or get, beat the nicotine habit or we're gonna spend time daily in devotions with Jesus or we're gonna link up with a group or we're gonna give our time and our money generously and, and when the emotion wears down, it just kind of all evaporates as way. And all of us in our experience have learned this bottom line lesson. Enthusiasm is a poor substitute for discipleship. Mm. Disciples, disciplined, hang in there through thick and through thin, when they feel great and when they don't. A disciplined disciple, follower of Jesus and how do we do that? Well, we have to get rid of that clutter. Maybe this is a wake-up call for some of us tonight about our own cluttered lives. We, we don't have to look much further than our calendars, do we? Life is crazy, isn't it? Those of you that are parents or guardians or grandparents caring for these kids that were up here tonight, your life is crazy. I get that. And then some of us wake up a year later and we go, I don't think God's Word has done anything in my life this year. I don't think I'm transformed. I don't think I'm more like Jesus because of a cluttered life. There's so many options in our lives. Our life can be like a field of rocks. And unless we clear the clutter, nothing's going to grow very well. And so we have a prescription for the cutter cluttered life here at Evergreen. And we call it the, the 4G Network. And these are the things that we put into our life and into our calendar first. We spend time with God every day, listening to his voice in the Bible, listening to his spirit in prayer and in confession and thanksgiving. And then we gather. We gather weekly together on the weekends. We do it at Evergreen 45 Sundays a year. Go into your calendars right now and just mark out over the next year the seven Sundays you're not going to be here and have a blast at those. There's going to be a goofy family reunion thing. There's going to be some vacation time. Go visit a couple of other great churches in our community. There's going to be some time you're doing other stuff. You're going to be away for some training. We get that. Plug those seven Sundays that you're not going to be here in your calendar. And and I've already done that. And the other 45 were here because this is what we do. And it's a big deal for us. And then the group thing, group regularly. Listen, if you've tried some of the 25 groups around here that, this, that Evergreen is sponsored and you don't like any of them and you don't like the people, let me make it really easy for you. Go start your own group. Start when you want to be a part of. Perfectly fine. But life is lived together in community where we're looking at one another week or every two weeks at a time and we're living and doing life together. And then the fourth G in the 4G network is that we give. 
We give our time. Those of you e-volunteers, man, you do that so well. We give of our talent and we give our money. We give a tithe as, as a baseline here. It's the way we do it. It's the evergreen way. There's lots of ways to do church. Some churches do church in a different kind of a way, but the evergreen way is this way, the 4G network, and it's a way for us to say, if we do these things, we're very likely going to be well on our way toward not being faint-hearted. Well, the third kind of heart that Jesus talks about are the ones that we call half-hearted. And we discover that there's some soil that apparently has gotten contaminated along the way. This is what Jesus says. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Interesting. Half-hearted. Jesus tells us that there's three weeds that grow up in your life. In fact, they're growing right now. And unless you reach into your life and yank those weeds out, they will secretly grow around you and they will choke you spiritually so that unwittingly you will find yourself cut off from life and you will be stunted and strangled in your spiritual growth. Is that amazing or what? He gives us specifically what those three weeds are. The first one is worry. Life's cares are distractions that choke our spiritual growth. Worries about not having enough can sidetrack us. Worries are like greeds, weeds that grow up and strangle healthy plants. Worries can sidetrack us. Money, pursuing it. The pursuit of money is a weed that can choke our maturity. Yet, in our culture especially, this is one of the major things that we pursue. Jesus said it simply, where your treasure is, there your heart is too. What we aim for is what we'll get. Pursuing money can kill our spiritual development. The third weed Jesus talks about is pleasure. In fact, let me re-quote what Jesus said. There are those who are choked by pleasures, and they don't mature. Talk about a cross-cultural message to the prosperous American society. Haven't we arrived when we have plenty to worry about? When we have now gotten the money that we've pursued, which can buy for us the pleasure that we want, isn't that the fulfillment of the American dream? Now, I have to tell you, I'm no killjoy. <clears throat> I like pleasure. And if you make me vote on what I'd rather be pleasurable or whether it be painful, I will definitely go with pleasure. Any of you with me on that one? Yeah. And Brad, I have a verse for that. This is what the Bible says. God has richly given us all things to enjoy. You like that one? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Pleasure is not the problem. The problem is the devil's MO is to cause us to pursue pleasure so that that becomes the default. And because all of us are wealthy... We have the opportunity to default to pleasure. 
and be choked spiritually. Wealthy, you say? <laughs> you haven't been reading my mail. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're in the top 5%. Every person in this room is in the top 5% of wealth on planet Earth. And what that has done for us, it has created an environment that makes it possible for us to be choked because of pleasure. I had the privilege of serving uh, on a board with a guy uh, when we lived in L.A., and he uh, is the CEO of an organization that manages several billion dollars. He's well compensated. His wife is the vice president of a large insurance company. She's well compensated. They, at the time, had a nine-year-old daughter, and we were invited to their home for a dinner party with some other friends. When we drove up to their house, I felt like I was parking in front of the White House. It, their house wasn't that big, but it kind of looked like it, and it was three levels and, and Corinthian columns in the front and absolutely dazzle, dazzling white, and we went inside through these massive doors, and we had a wonderful time with them. And that evening in their home, I asked him what was new in their life. And he said, well, what's new is we sold our house in Palm Springs. So I'm assuming, oh, you want a little bigger house? You want it on a better golf course? Or maybe you decided you want to buy a house in Scottsdale or Cabo or someplace else. And so I said, well, why did you sell the house? Here was the story. He said, you know how much we love our church. They were part of a great four-square church in the LA. You know how much we love our church and how much we love our pastor and how we're committed there. And we found ourselves picking our daughter up weekend after weekend at middle of the afternoon from school and we'd drive the hour and a half out to Palm Springs and on Sunday morning we'd be sitting there with our coffee and reading the paper and we said, what are we doing here? We have a commitment to be a part of our faith community and we're here. We're going to do better at that. And then the next time they're out there and they're sitting there and the third time they were out there and he said, we finally looked at each other and said, we're not disciplined enough to have this house. We are letting pleasure default us away from our commitment. So he said, we sold our house in Palm Springs so we can be a part of the faith community that we're committed to. Now, I want you to know, don't wait for my story about Ann and me selling one of our second or third or fourth homes. You understand that that's not the world we live in. Most of you don't as well. We get that. But their story is all of our story, isn't it? When the default becomes... If I don't get a better offer, then I will do the God thing. The better offer being when the alarm goes off to shut it off and go back to sleep. The better offer when it comes to the weekend, like the sun came out and I'm going to go play. The better offer when it comes to group like, man, I've been working all day and I just don't feel the kid's not doing, I think I'll just, you get how it works, don't? It's always a default to pleasure. And Jesus says this, I got to tell you something, there's a bunch of half-hearted people and they're not half-hearted because they're not sincere, they're half-hearted because they've allowed three weeds to choke their spiritual development out, the weeds of worry and money and pleasure. And here, the great spiritual uh, cardiologist comes and offers a prescription for us on not being half-hearted. The first deals with worry. We pray about worry. Jesus is very clear in Scripture. Paul writes these words, don't worry about anything. But in everything with prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that transcends all human understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You get up tomorrow morning, the first part of the 4G network, you and God, and we pray, trust about money. And then plan your pleasure. Put it in your calendar. God's given us all things to enjoy. 
but be a disciple in the process. Well, did I mention that there were four kinds of hearts we were going to take a look at? Did I talk about three of those already? Are you starting to smell the tri-tip out there barbecuing? Had I better flat out get the fourth one done and get out of Dodge here? Here we go. The fourth heart is wholehearted. Some dirt really is good soil. Isn't that good news? Yeah. (laughs) Jesus says, the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. The good heart. Not, not in, not briefly in, not half in, but all in, wholehearted. Now I have to tell you before I wrap this tonight that I've read this passage literally hundreds of times. And I, like some of you, have probably heard scores of messages or talks about this passage, but I misunderstood this. This is how I used to think about it. What I thought was that you kind of start out with a hard heart and you graduate yourself forward, and eventually you get wholehearted. So I start with a hard heart, and then if I work on that, then I can only then I can be faint-hearted, and after a while of being faint-hearted, I can be half-hearted, and then after a while I become I become like Roger, and I become wholehearted. And now every day in Roger's life, he's wholehearted, right? That's what I used to think, that these were states that we're in until we graduate to another state. But I'll tell you what I've learned about how life is lived. These aren't states of being. These are four choices that we make in the moment when life happens to us. So on Wednesday morning, I'm sitting by a lake in which I wish I could throw the guy in. And I don't even know where to start. I can't defend myself. What do I even say in the face of that? Gee, let me help you here. Am I incompetent or am I incompetent and weak? Where do we start in the conversation? As he began to continue to tell me how small I am. And it was one of the most humbling conversations I've ever had in my life. That's the moment when I decide what my heart condition is going to be. Everything in me wanted to be hard-hearted, to step back and say, I'm done with this. I don't need this preacher stuff anymore. I don't need to have roles where I put myself out there for other people to take shots at. I don't have to have these stupid breakfast conversations with you. I don't need to unpack my life with you. I used to have a tender heart. It got tramped on. The callus begins to go over it. And finally, it's as though stainless steel has been wrapped around it and it's impenetrable. In the moment, I felt like choosing to have a hard heart. The prescription says you forgive and you move on. Hmm. In the moment this week, you're going to be tempted to be faint-hearted. You're going to be tempted to throw too much junk into your life. Good stuff, I understand. And squeeze out spiritual vitality. This week, in the moment, you're going to be tempted to worry. You're going to be tempted to let the weed of pursuing money grow. You're going to be tempted to default to pleasure. And in the same moment this week, you'll have the opportunity to choose letter D, wholeheartedness that says... I'm going to be all in here. 
I'm going to be and act like a disciple. This is the prescription for the whole heart. There are three things to do. First of all, Jesus said, if you want to be wholehearted, first of all, hear it. Wholehearted people hear his word. Tomorrow you'll do it. You'll get up. You'll spend one-on-one time with Jesus. Tuesday morning, 6 o'clock, I'll be with my group of guys. We're going to hear God's word together. We're going to gather next Sunday together. We're going to be together. You're, some of you are going to be listening to messages on MP3 files or maybe on the radio. You're going to be reading good books from good biblically-based thinkers. We're going to hear God's word together. The second thing a wholehearted person does is retains it, is holds it, Jesus said. My memory doesn't serve me very well. I have to write stuff down, and Anne and I sometimes go back and look at our journals that we did, started decades ago, and see how God has spoken to us over time. I use Mac Journal now, and I type in my quiet time, and I listen to what God has said, and I go back and I review it. Some of you just need to download an app and just talk to Siri or something, but record vocally what God has said to you, and then play back that back the next few days. What is God saying to you? Jesus said a good heart. Listen, a good heart is not a state of being. It's not sainthood you've arrived to. It's hearing his word and holding his word. And the third is doing his word. Do it. Just do it. Do what he tells you to do. I don't want to be not in. I don't want to be briefly in. I don't want to be half in. Don't you join me this week? I want to be all in. So let's read these questions, and we're going to pray. Where have you been hurt or disappointed and decided to stay hard-hearted? What are you going to do about it? What have you enthusiastically started and then faded out? What are you going to do about it? Or have you gotten contaminated with worry or pursuing money or pleasure? What are you going to do about it? And how do you hear and retain and do God's word? And how this week are you going to keep doing that? Let's be all in.